To worship is the idea, if we were to define it, is ascribing worth to God, or another way of putting it is appreciating God's worthiness. Now, you cannot know who God is if you don't open up the scriptures. We are only going to have our own understanding and our own ideas of God without the written word of God, because God himself describes who he is, a God who's full of love, faithful, a God who's just. And these qualities about God bring us to a place of worship. Abounding in Faith is the broadcast ministry of Emmanuel Bible Church of Howell, New Jersey. If you are blessed by this message, please subscribe to our podcast or YouTube channel. You can also download our app by searching for IBCNJ in the Google Play Store or the Apple Store. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org. Our speaker today is Senior Pastor Joe Suazo. Seated. We'll be standing for scripture reading in a minute, but I just wanted to kind of do a review. Some of you may be new. Um, we're going through the book of Genesis. The book, the word Genesis actually means beginnings. It's the very first book of the Bible, and really uh, it becomes foundational for our understanding of all of Scripture. Uh, when we misunderstand Genesis, it leads to all kinds of theological problems, so I just thought it would be good for us to journey on and soldier on through the book. Uh, we looked at the first 11 chapters, which has to do with creation and the beginning of human civilization, and then we came to a very unique transition in chapter uh, 12. And this scripture is so key to the entire Bible because here we see the birth of the nation of Israel uh, through the father, the patriarch Abraham. So we read in Genesis chapter 12 how Abraham got his call from God. He's in the land of Ur, which is about a thousand miles from Israel. And the Lord says to him, this is chapter 12, verse 1, uh, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will give you, and I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I'll curse, and you and in you and all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abram went, the scripture says, as the Lord had told him. And so we find just here in this unique portion of scripture, which is so pivotal to the entire Bible, because right here is the hinge, so to speak, to the entire Old Testament and the nation of Israel. And we see five really components of a vision that God gave to Abraham, which I think apply to us today, especially in the sphere of mission. We were talking about uh, uh, Mike Tapia Jr. is going to Tanzania uh, in a few days and is going to be there ministering. We support missions and this becomes foundational. Listen to these principles. The first one is surrender and sacrifice. Uh, leave your country and your household. And so a principle that is applies to all of us is this principle of sacrifice in terms of our relationship with God. Second is character transformation. I will make your name great. Uh, I find it just amazing that as we begin to walk with the Lord, serve Him, how God begins to clean our 
uh, lives up and begin to give us a sense of integrity and understanding of what the future looks like. Third one, become a person of influence. I will make you a great nation. Um, I will, I've shared many times but when my wife and I went from here to India and uh, we spent uh, a number of years serving, it was just amazing to see how those seeds of God's word, when they're sown, no matter where they are, they're going to bear fruit. That's, that's what God promises. Uh, a fourth principle, God protects us along the way. You take a step of faith, he provides, he protects. And the final one is exalting Jesus. And this is so beautiful. Through your seed, all nations will be blessed. And we see this theme recurring again and again. We remember that through Israel, uh, the Jewish people, we have the word of God. 66 books in one book. It's not a book. It's a book of books. And uh, here we see a great, tremendous amount of harmony and beauty over a period of, of uh, 1,600 years. We have these beautiful books that are written and given to us. Um, and... Uh, they are harmonious, and most important is we find Jesus, who is born Jewish in Israel, and brings salvation to which we're here today celebrating. So, uh, Israel, so foundation. Chapter 12, we saw that Abraham, in verse 4, leaves everything in obedience, but then we see in also 12, if you remember, he faces his first trial which is famine in the land. In the midst of the famine, we see how Abraham's heart grew desperate and des desperation and doubt. He leaves the vision that God gave him and goes to Egypt. So many times, that's the way our lives are. And uh, we saw that. But God uh, brought him back and brought Sarah back so that that vision of a great nation could be fulfilled. In chapter 13, we saw that as they came back, miraculously that God in his sovereignty began to change him. We see a man of worship. We see a man of integrity. And last week in uh, chapter 14, we saw the first war in the Bible where Abram was able to take his 318 trained men and go probably against thousands and secure victory. And we garnished a number of um, principles about the fact that we live in a world of conflict but with the Lord, uh, victory is assured. And so that's kind of a little review of these past few weeks we've been together. I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to be in chapter 14 now. And uh, we're going to see through Abram's life uh, two things in, in this. One is we see a man who is a man of worship. And then a second thing we're going to see is a life of integrity. And we're going to pick it up in verse 17, chapter 14, verse 17. After his return, this is after the, the uh, battle he had over these kings to the north. After he had victory, uh, he returns from the defeat of uh, Kedor, Laomor, and the kings who were with him. The king of Sodom went out to meet him in the valley of Shaveh, that is the king's valley. And then we find this interesting character show up in scripture, and Melchizedek, 
king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram by God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who's delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say I have made Abram rich. And I'll take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me. Let Anur, Eskal, and Mamra take their share. And Father, we just pray as we just look at some of these verses that you'd speak to our hearts this morning as we try to understand this beautiful book of Genesis. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, two things I want us to see here. Uh, worship and integrity. You know, if we have a vision from God, it's always going to result in worship. And I don't mean just singing on Sunday morning. Well, that, that's, a, uh, that's a good thing, right? Uh, what happened to John? He's really sitting up front. Huh? Yeah, where'd he go? Just when I was ready to give him kudos. But uh, it begins, uh, our, our vision of God begins with worship. Worship is the idea, if we were to define it, is ascribing worth to God, or another way of putting it is appreciating God's worthiness. Now, you cannot know who God is if you don't open up the scriptures. We are only going to have our own understanding and our own ideas of God without the written word of God because God himself describes who he is, a God who's full of love, faithful, a God who's just. And these qualities about God bring us to a place of worship. Now in Genesis chapter 14, 19, 20, we see an important character show up in the Old Testament called Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek here is clearly what we call a type of Christ. A type of Christ. What is a type of Christ? A type of Christ is someone in the Old Testament who points us to Jesus. Now, some would argue it's a Christophany, which is a pre-incarnate uh, revelation of Christ. We just don't know. Scripture is silent on that point. But we see in verse 18, Abraham is greeted by Melchizedek, and he shows the same three qualities that we find in the person of Jesus Christ. First, he's king. The text tells us he's the king of Solomon. The word Solomon means prince of peace. And his name, Melchizedek, means son of righteousness. So in the same way, Jesus is also king. In fact, Revelations 20 calls him king of kings and lord of lords. And the great passage in Isaiah 9 describing Jesus calls him almighty, almighty father, prince of peace. Those are the same names and qualities we see in Melchizedek. The, the text also goes on to tell us that Melchizedek was also high priest. He was not only king, but high priest. Now the high priest in the Old Testament is the one who stood before uh, the nation of Israel 
and the people, sinful people, and a holy God. And his responsibility, especially once a year, he would go into what would be called the Holy of Holies, which was a, uh, a place in the tabernacle in the temple where only he could enter once a year, apply blood for the forgiveness and the atonement of the people. And so here we see Melchizedek, who's called the priest of God Most High. Um, the high priest uh, ultimately was looking forward to what Jesus would do. You know, when Jesus went to the cross and he died, one of the first things that happened when he died is the veil that separated the holy from the holy of holies places in the temple was torn top to, to bottom. The synoptic uh, gospels gives testimony to that. Uh, and so we see in verse 18, Melchizedek is a high priest. And what does he bring? Bread and wine. It's amazing, right? Foreshadowing Christ's sacrifice in the cross that one day would bring us forgiveness of sins with the Lord himself. What do we do on a monthly basis here? We do the Lord's Supper to remind us of what? Of our salvation that we have in Christ. And here he is coming to Abraham with bread and wine. You know, the book of Hebrews, which in the, is in the New Testament, gives the clearest insight into the character of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6.20, the writer tells us that Jesus is, listen to this, a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Just as Melchizedek was without lineage and appears to be without any human origin, so is the same with Jesus, God in the flesh. Remember, Jesus had no beginning or no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's before time. For by him, Scripture says, all things were made. There was nothing made that had been made without him. Colossians chapter 1 tells us he is the firstborn, meaning the first rank of all creation. And so when we look to Jesus, we see God himself. And here we see uh, the Melchizedek taking on that same quality. And finally, in Melchizedek, like Christ, he was a prophet. So these same three qualities that Jesus had, king, priest, and then prophet, who blessed Abraham. And what did he remind Abram of? He reminded Abram of God's covenant to protect him and curse any nation that would oppose him. Look at what it says. Blessed be Abram by God most high, who delivered Abram's enemies into his hands. Uh, one day we know, as we were singing earlier on in terms of the first song, the lion and the lamb, that Jesus will one day come back as a lion and subjugate all nations under his feet. That this crazy world that we live in, that seems to be always a bit out of control and gives us all a sense of anxiety and nervousness, we rest not in the world, right? But we rest in the fact that one day... God, in his time, in his chosen, sovereign time, is going to bring all things under his feet. And we, as his children, will be reign with him forever and ever. So we see these three qualities exemplified in, um, in Abraham himself. I mean, I'm sorry, in Melchizedek and Jesus. Now, in chapter 14, we see through God's prophet Melchizedek, but in chapter 15, we see, interestingly, every step along the way, 
we see Jesus show up again and again and again in the book of Genesis. It's absolutely amazing when you begin to think about it. In chapter 15, we see Jesus says, God confirms once again his vision to reach all the peoples on earth through the nation Abraham would bring forth. How would God do that? He would do that through the person of Jesus Christ. We will see Jesus in chapter 17 all the way through 22. For example, in chapter 18, when uh, there's a, what theologians believe is a appearance, a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus, an angel of the Lord comes to remind Abram that even though he was 99 years old, he would have that child, Isaac, which ultimately would be born to him. In chapter 19, when he rescues a lot, we see another Christophany where the angel of the Lord goes into the city of Sodom and rescues Lot. And then, of course, chapter 22, the sacrifice when uh, God commands uh, Abram to offer Isaac, we see also another type of Christ in there. So now, going back to chapter 14 here, in verse 20, we see how Abraham responds to his relationship with God. He responds how? With worship. I love that. Verse 20 tells us that Abram, how did he worship him? Verse 20. Pastor Mike, help me out here. My notes are all scribbly. I'm only joking. He gave him a tenth of everything. This is where it's going to get real personal this morning. His way of worshiping God here was giving. Now, there are many ways we can worship God. We worship singing. We worship through prayer. We worship uh, God in the way we work, and the way we use our hands. But we also worship God with everything that he's given us. Now, we turn back and we give God. And we find here for the first time in all of Scripture a tenth or a tithe appearing, which tells us it's a principle that's not based on the law because this precedes the law. Uh, and I want us to see three things about this tithing uh, principle this morning. First, tithing is, as we we're sharing, an act of worship. You know, we give to God, we're invited to give not out of guilt or duty. You know, we stop passing, uh, one of the things we stop doing in this church is passing out the offering plate. We want you to freely give to support the work that we're trying to accomplish in terms of bringing the gospel not only to the local community, but to the world around us. And when you give, it's not because, oh, I better give or I feel guilty. No, I'm giving out of a joyful heart, a sense of my worship to God, because I understand that everything that I have has ultimately come from him. The Lord gives and the Lord can take away. And so I worship him uh, with my giving. And so Abram's tithe to Melchizedek is an act of worship. I heard a missionary friend of mine who served in Iran and Turkey for over 40 years. I love this one sermon. I'll never forget this. He said this. He says, when I give sacrificially, it's saying that I trust you, Lord, to provide. I trust you. And then he said this, open any man's checkbook. Of course, we don't have checkbooks anymore. Let's say, open any man or woman's app. Let's say, let's do it that way now. We do our banking on apps, right? And, and you're going to find the degree of their love for God in that. That's the way he said it. And I believe that. 
So the first thing is an act of worship. The second thing is tithing is to be sacrificial. In the Old Testament, it was commanded to God's people to give a tenth of their income, 10%. In the New Testament, it's interesting, we don't find the language of tithe in the New Testament. However, we find the language of generosity in the New Testament. Uh, perhaps one of the best passages, most potent passages in the New Testament comes from 2 Corinthians 9, where the Apostle Paul reminds us of this, whoever gives sparingly will reap sparingly, but whoever gives generously will reap generously. Each one, listen to the principle here, each one's to decide what he's to give in his own heart, not out of compulsion. Isn't that interesting? Not out of guilt, not out of, oh, I better do this or else. No, give it out of your own heart, out of a, a place where I'm in relationship with God. And then he says this, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. I love that. And, and listen to what he says. The Apostle Paul writes it. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so having all sufficiency in all things, you may abound in every good work. What is he really saying? He's saying that as you give, God gives back to you so that you can continue to give. And I've discovered that over my 40 years of walking with the Lord, God has been very faithful to provide every one of my needs as I've learned to tithe and give him a tenth of everything. Um, we see that God blesses us here, that all grace may abound. You know, what a, a beautiful thing to be able to contribute in some way that a soul could be saved for eternity. Isn't that amazing? You know, when we get to heaven, uh, you're not going to be taking anything with you. Do you realize that? Zero. And I'm not saying that you should not steward your finances and leave them well for your children, your children's children. But the most important thing you can do is to live well for God in every area of your life. Um, we see this principle of generosity, by the way, in Mark 12. You know, I've heard some people say, well, you know, I don't make enough to give. Well, I always quote from Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, when, when Jesus praises a poor widow who gives a mite in the temple. Well, what was a mite? I love the mite because my daughter, uh, my oldest daughter has a necklace that she wears a knight, a mite, not a knight, a mite, a mite on her, neck, on her neck to remind her of this story. Jesus tells that she gave more than all of the wealthy people who were in Jerusalem that day. Isn't that interesting? She, why? Because she gave away everything she had that day. What a beautiful praise. Do you think that when she left that temple, that God did not bless and provide for her needs? I, I, have to, I can't wait to get to heaven. Where is that, that old widow? You know, she'll probably be, you know, young and beautiful at this point in heaven because she'll be in heaven, right? With a resurrected body. I want to hear how the Lord provide for her after that day, right? Interestingly, Pastor James Kennedy tells a story of a man who came to Peter Marshall, who was the former chaplain of the United States Senate. He had a concern about tithing. He said, look, I have a problem, he said to the chaplain. I've been tithing for some time. It wasn't too bad when I was making $50,000 a year. I could afford to give 5000 but you see, now I'm making $300,000 a year, and there's no way I can afford to, to give away $30,000. 
So Dr. Marshall reflected on his wealthy, this wealthy man's dilemma, but gave no advice. He simply said, yes, sir, I see that you do have a problem. I think we ought to pray about it. That's all right. The man agreed. So Dr. Marshall bowed his head and prayed with boldness and authority. Dear Lord, this man has a problem. I pray that you'll help him, Lord. Reduce his salary back to the place where he can afford a tithe. So that's actually, I think, a true story. So tithing is an act of worship, but also tithing brings us blessings from God. In Malachi 3, we find a curious passage on giving. The people of Israel began to ignore this principle of tithing, and he uses the imagery that they had holes in their pocket. You ever hear that idiom? We have it. It first showed up in the Bible, in the book of Malachi, a hole in the pocket means I have money, I put it in there, what happens? Disappears, right? So they ignore the principle of tithing and they become poorer for it, not wealthier, because God's withholding his blessings. So God sends his prophet Malachi to rebuke the people. He told the people they were robbing God and then he challenged them to test God in the principle of tithing this way. See, listen to this. If I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you'll never have, you won't have room for it. I like that. I like that. I just found that over the years that personally, and I've, every person I've talked to is faithful tither, I've never met a person who's tithing faithfully who tells me, uh, they, there might be periods of struggle. We all have periods of struggle financially. I've never found them in want of anything. God blesses as he does according to his word. So vision from God requires worship. How is that worship expressed? First, in the person of Jesus Christ, we see it in Abraham. Secondly, we see him giving a tenth of everything to King Melchizedek. Now, a second thing I want us to talk about is that vision from God requires integrity. Integrity. Now, when you see the life of Abraham, we see a, a series of contrasts. Chapter 12, we see Abram's wrong choice of Egypt, uh, going to Egypt because of the famine, contrasts with God's promised land of Canaan. In chapter 13, Abram's good choice of the promised land contrasted with his nephew Lot's bad choice of living in, near Sodom and Gomorrah. Last week in chapter 4, we saw Abram's victory in battle compared to the devastation of the kings of the north and south. This week, look at this contrast. We see the king of Salem, Melchizedek, contrasts with the king of Sodom, who we know was presiding over a wicked, wicked city. In verses 21, look at verses 21 22 with me. Abram aligns himself with the king of Sa Salem, <laughs> not the king of Sodom, who he already learned was evil and an enemy of God. Abraham resists his advances to form a tree. Abraham's choice here came from his commitment to follow God. When the king offered to Abraham to keep the goods, look at what he says in verse 21. Um, it was like a, a bribe. In that, in that ancient world, especially in the East, when he offered to, to give him all the goods, it was like a bribe for a future treaty. But Abraham refused. Why did he refuse because the text tells us that Abram raised his hand to the Lord Most High, creator of the heavens and the earth. And we see Abram say no to material, 
no to power, and yes to God. We see Abram's integrity in Genesis 14.23 as as he's willing to separate himself from evil in the world. I will accept nothing belonging to you. I believe Abraham had to be tempted. I mean, we're talking a lot of wealth. We're talking about a lot of money, a lot of potential influence and power, but he rejected it. He could have reasoned, you know, I, I took the risk. I deserve the goods. But Abram knew that to align himself with Sodom would be to side with the world, not God. J.C. Ryle, great English pastor of the 18th century, wrote this, and I, I wrote this down a few years ago. Listen to this. So... Uh, so powerful in terms of temptation. We're too apt to forget that temptation to sin will rarely present itself in true colors. Saying, I am your deadly enemy, I want to ruin, your, uh, ruin you forever in hell. No, sin comes to us like Judas, with a kiss. The forbidden fruit seems good and desirable to Eve, yet it cast her out of Eden. Walking idly on the palace roof seemed harmless enough to David, yet it ended in adultery and murder. Sin rarely uh, presents itself in an innocuous way. Uh, Let us then watch and pray lest we fall into temptation. And so uh, we see Abram giving us an example, one who stood against temptation and uh, to riches. Now, another aspect of integrity is uh, not being divided in our hearts or not being hypocritical. Uh, now, I was just stum- I stumbled on this, this interesting story about this small zoo. I don't know where it was, but um, they didn't have a lot of means, and so their main attraction was this gorilla. So the gorilla died, so the zookeeper had a genius idea that they would dress a man in a gorilla suit and put him in the pit. So they dress this man, and so far it goes well for a couple days. Eventually, the guy, by mistake, falls into the lion pit and starts to scream and, you know, ask people to save his life, so he's blown his cover, and then the lion says, shh, you're going to blow my cover too. (laughs) Corny story, but (laughs) I thought it was funny. Uh, So integrity is the opposite of that. Integrity is what you see is what you get. My prayer would be that for all the leaders of the church, that when you look at us, not perfect lives, because we're all just as messed up as you guys, just want to give you a flash on that one, but we want you to see integrity, that our loyalty to God is shown in every way. It's not, we're not divided in our loyalties. Listen to what Psalm 86:11 talks about this. I love the way the NIV translates it. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me what? An undivided heart that I may fear your name. An undivided heart is fixed on the things of God and the vision he desires to give us. Each of us has been given a vision whether you realize it or not, a vision in some way to follow God with your life. I can't answer how God's going to fulfill his vision in your life 
or what he's asking you to do. But I can tell you this, if you begin to point yourself to the things of God, he is going to be faithful to provide you a purpose and a direction. And now your call is to begin to follow him, not with one foot over here with Sodom and taking his goods, not one foot over here serving yourself, but to go after God full-hearted way so that you're not divided in your heart. God's calling us to an undivided heart. We understand this principle in so many ways. For example, a good husband has an undivided heart towards his wife. A good employee is devoted to work in the best interests of the company or business they're working for. A follower of God is devoted to putting God first and not divided between his desires for pleasure, money, self, and putting God second. You know, there is an idiomatic expression. You know, the, 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 I just learned this too this past week. Idiomatic expression, fence-sitting. Fence-sitting. I was curious. I said, where, you know, sometimes I'll look up into the dictionary. Where did this idiom come from to be a fence-sitter? Because we don't want to be fence-sitters. So this is what I found out. The, the phrase originally came from the Alequin tribe of Quebec in Canada. It was used many times to describe a person who's divided in their loyalties. Interestingly, in the original language of the Alequin people comes from the phrase mugwamp. Mugwamp. You may have heard this if you guys were readers of history. It describes a bird who's looking in the wrong direction. So the bird rear end is facing the right way, but its face is headed the wrong way. Now, during the election of 1850, one of the presidential elections of this country, a group of Republicans decided to support their Democratic opponent instead of their own party. The other Republicans gave them the, the title mugwamps. They were mugwamps. And they were sitting on the fence claiming allegiance to one party while supporting others. Here, here, here's the application. God does not want us to be mugwamps. He wants our faces to be pointed towards him. Not this way, but this way. He doesn't want us to be sitting on a fence, but have a, a willingness to follow him wholeheartedly. I love Abraham's life because though he made mistakes like we all do, and we're going to find out more of his mistakes, he makes a lot of them actually, just like we do. When you look at his life beginning to end, he remained committed to following God and the vision God had given him. We saw after a mistake in Egypt, he returns back to the place he was in the beginning. We're going to see uh, in a couple weeks where he's going to wind up uh, being with his maidservant and fostering a whole new family, and that becomes a disaster. But I love Genesis 14:23, where he says, I've lifted my hand to the Lord God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. That's something we all can do, can't we? To lift one's hand means I agree, right? That's the way we do it. Uh, it means I am agreeing to point my life in that direction. Years and years ago, before I went on the mission field in India, I spent a whole year preparing raising uh, 
funds and prayer support. While I did that work part-time at uh, AT&D, T, which they repurposed that building in Homedale, it's a huge building, and it was pretty impressive at, at Zenith. Uh, my immediate supervisor, who donned the title sergeant, because uh, this was a security company, began to really reprimand me because of my lack of work ethic. Now, I was there on time. I checked people's badges, but my heart and attitude was in the wrong place. I, I was just honestly bored with checking badges with those coming in and saw the job as temporary as I would go on to bigger and better things in India. This is the way I saw it. The problem was I didn't understand in my youthfulness that my time as a security guard at AT&T was also God's work and that my half-hearted attitude toward the job was dishonoring to him. Interestingly, and this is, you can't even make this up. Interestingly, the head boss of the security firm and she donned the title captain was a believer and brought, I mean, I didn't do well in those kind of organizations because I'm an old hippie, right? So I didn't do well in, in military type organizations, but there I was. And I guess I should have been a private, but the captain was a believer and brought me in to talk to her about my attitude on the job. She opens up from her Bible, Colossians 3, verses 22 through 24, which says this, Bond servants, which in today's language could be translated employees or workers, obey everything those who, uh, those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, look at, listen to what the scripture says. I was so convicted when I left her office. I really just had to repent. Whatever you do, work heartily. As for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Wow. Here I thought it was just such an insignificant time in my life that I needed to, it was like a stepping stone to something else. Meanwhile, my, I'm ruining the name of the Lord because of the way I was living with this sergeant. And this captain brings me in to remind me, wait a minute, your mission field is right here. Not in India. When you get to India, it'll be in India. But right now it's here. And I was so convicted. And I said, as I was finishing up this uh, sermon, I said, isn't that something we can all take out of here today? This one verse, whatever you do, do it heartily. As for the Lord, not for man knowing that from the Lord you'll receive an inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Jesus Christ, no matter where you are. So I don't know where you are today. Maybe you don't feel very excited about your station life. Invite God in. He's got a purpose for you. Uh, take on a vision. That vision's going to require worship and integrity, and I trust that God, by his grace, will give you both. Father, thank you for this uh, scripture this morning we pray that you just continue to speak to our hearts as we read through the book of genesis and lord we just thank you for your presence 
and the way you pursue us, even when we think we're doing something that doesn't seem to have a lot of significance, you're a God who can work through all things uh, for your good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the previous message. We pray that you were blessed by it. For more information, please visit us at www.ibcnj.org.